This is Simon Severino, the CEO of Strategy Sprints. You are listening to the Sassholes. Let's do this. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with an edge. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Hey, today we're joined with a very special guest, Simon Severino. Simon is the CEO of Strategy Sprints, Europe's leading remote growth advisory. His global team of certified strategy sprint coaches does only one thing, double the revenue of businesses in 90 days. Huh, for us, that would be zero. Simon teaches growth strategy in select business schools and hosts the Strategy Sprints podcast. His company mission is to get business owners to have long, uninterrupted vacations again because the business runs smoothly without them. But before we get to Simon, we got to pay the bills. This episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of your noodle, which is a brain map before the season starts, so you have a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup before the season starts. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. A lot of football is already being played right now. It only takes 20 minutes to get the data you need to ensure the quality of your athlete's future life. Okay, best part of the show, KG. What, Pete? KG. Oh, for God's sakes, lay it on me. I only know 25 letters of the alphabet. And I don't know why. Leave us some comments <laughs> on our blog at sassholes.net. KG, you got any shout outs? Uh, I have a couple of shout outs. Of course, you know me. I've got the nice guy, happy birthday shout outs. I want to give a shout out to my boy, Ben Edelstein. We worked together long ago when he graduated from uh, UC Santa Barbara as a, uh, as a baseball player. And he's turned out to be an exceptional salesperson. And, uh, and then also happy birthday to... Uh, Matt Hines, uh, a fellow sales consultant up in the, in the, the Northwest. Uh, Matt Hines is a good guy. He's also bald like me. So I always like to give props to the bald guys. And then a, a huge shout out to uh, Ryan Iyengar, who is uh, who I worked with at ZipRecruiter. He was uh, VP in marketing and uh, went over to a startup called Helium 10 and accelerated from chief Revenue officer and recently got promoted to president. That's a big deal, Pete. You and I never got promoted to president. We were like president. Vice, vice presidents, which isn't nearly as good as just straight president. We got a lot of vices. We do have a lot of vices. All right. Mark blows this eight years at Malaker Cohen. Hey, Mark, way to work yourself up for middle management. Hey, Matt Witt starts a new position uh, as a consulting analyst at Fiduciant Advisors. Way to go, Matt. Congratulate. Let's see. Leslie Cervantes starting a new position as Director Analytics Operations at Excel Sports Management. Hey, Leslie, I'd like to get in there with NeuroNoodle. Give me a call. Let's see. Jason's not in a show, so that means nobody died. That's good. Thank God for that. Except for my fantasy right. football team. <laughs> can I can I get a neuro noodle of my fantasy football team? I mean, it's I think it's gotten hit in the head big time already well, this season. Well, in order to get a brain map, you have to have some energy coming off of your dome there, KG. So I think you're a little little light today. All right. Hey, Simon, what's up with your business? Uh, Give us a 30-second primer about your career and how you got to where you are today. Simon Severino. I'm living in Vienna, Austria here. 
And when my boys came to being, I didn't want to fly anymore. So my thing was, how do I transpone 18 years of strategy advisory into something that works remotely, wherever it is, without anybody flying, but helpful in navigating funky times for entrepreneurs? And that's what we built. That's the strategy sprints method. It's helping right now entrepreneurs all over the world run their businesses smoother, making sense of these times and adapting to what's going on. And um, it's a pleasure to serve this community. It's now 114 countries that we are having impact in. And I'm doing this from my home. I'm playing with my boys every day, a couple hours. That's awesome. Who's winning? What are you playing? From wrestling to tennis to soccer to every, everything that cannot run away will become a toy. So the, the real football, huh? Whatever we find. We oh, sing, okay. we dance. What, the biggest boy is six and the smallest is three. So you can imagine uh, there is nothing we, we, can, we do not come up with. Kudos to you for making that decision. I can say personally, now I'm, I consider myself to be a full-time stay-at-home dad, fully retired and part-time consulting. And I do that in that order, of course, Simon, and you get the value of, of that. And I think COVID is, you're not unique in that uh, a lot of people are making those kinds of decisions and saying, gosh, a two-hour commute or three-day-a-week travel schedule is not conducive to uh, a family. And, you know, I, my son's 17, Simon, and he drives, uh, he's learning to drive. I'm driving with my son like an hour, uh, an hour and a night for like three days a week. And it's like just him and me just together. We're shooting the shit and, and, uh, and I'm teaching him something and, you know, trying not to crash and stuff. And it's like, those are invaluable times. You can't get those back. So kudos to you for, for making that, uh, uh that decision. Um, you know, I'm always impressed with uh, people that do TED Talks, and I saw that you did a TED, TEDx talk uh, you know, recently, and you talked about achieving your wildest dreams. This is, you know, Pete, this is in post where you, uh, you know, edit in your Napoleon Dynamite stuff. Pedro offers you his protection. Tell us more about achieving our wildest dreams, Simon. This is fascinating. Yeah, so when the TEDx team asked me to contribute, I was thinking, what do I want to tell a broader set of the population? The main thing that I wanted to convey is whoever you are, wherever you are, you're perfect. And there is nothing you need to improve and there is nothing you need to do. It's, it's even more on the other side. Keep being strange Keep that awkward moment in a social situation where people look at you and go, what's, what's going on with you? That's your superpower. It's right there and you have it already. That's your key differentiator. So I was trying to take something from my experience, which is strategic, strategic differentiation and how to niche down and tell it to a broader set of people because TEDx goes to everybody. So I was like, hey, you are wonderful. There is nothing you need to do. And keep being strange because that will be your superpower. It's a latent superpower. It will become later an explicit superpower. So just keep going. That's, that's what I wanted to convey. Simon, uh, you're married, right? I am. 10 years now. Okay. Does your wife think you're perfect? Because my wife doesn't think I'm perfect. Uh, I think <laughs> I have to get her to watch. I got to get her to watch your TED Talks. That's uh <laughs> That'd be a quite show. 
<laughs> it's quite a journey in a long relationship to keep that mindset up. But I would say that's exactly the practice, right? To find the wonderful thing in everybody we meet. And it's easier when we meet them for the first time, obviously. And when we get into the thick of it, the work is to get back to that state again. That how's the... Um that our uniqueness help us accomplish our, you know, our, our wildest dreams? So first it's having the dream for the entrepreneur is why am I doing this? So why did I start my business in the first place? Because many, many entrepreneurs start with, hey, I want freedom from commute, freedom from having a boss, freedom from having that particular boss. I think I can be a better boss and then I have freedom. So they start it, they do it, and then they see, wow. I have less freedom and my friends say I'm working more. And um, there is a, a certain mindset that comes with it. And you, you get stuck usually in the first years in hustling, 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 and you do more and more and more. And then there is this mental picture that says, I need to serve the business so it can grow. And there is also another mindset, which is also true, is you started something that should serve your lifestyle, actually, and not the other way around. And you don't have to do more and more and more. You can stop. You can pause with a good strategic coach. You can find the three levers, what's working well, what's differentiated. And you can do less, actually, and find smarter ways, more creative ways, maybe pioneering ways to do something different that is super helpful. And then you don't need to work more and more and more. And the same thing, and that, go, that ties back to being married 10 years. I asked my wife last year, we went out for a boat trip for our nine years anniversary. And I literally asked her, can you remember why we married? And she said, yes, I married you because you were both freedom and home. I have literally written this down into every piece of, you know, vision, paper, project list, whatever. I have it written down. And every day I try to be a husband that is a little bit like freedom and home. And so the first part is, yeah, to ask, to have this conversation around what's our dream, what's our shared dream. As it, when you're an owner, it's a team that has a dream. What's our dream together? And what, would, what do we want to accomplish? And then the second question is, how can we make this work for us, for the client, for the community? And we are part of that community. So it's also working for us. And what's the smartest way? One question that we ask is, what, what's on your project list and how can you cut it in half? Then we let them cut in half. And then we say, now cut it in half again. And this is the hardest task in the first month of the sprint. But it's a very important task because then you, you boil down to the gist and now you help people align around a few things that really matter, a few numbers, a few goals, a few projects. Now you have more breathing room. Now you have freedom to create something because if you just have to deliver one thing or solve one big problem, we really, we narrow it down to are we going to solve a bottleneck in operations, in sales, or in marketing this week? And then they have to pick and choose. They have to say, okay, this week we solve the lead gen problem. All right, then let's do everything and everybody does that. We will measure it on Thursday. On Friday, we either have solved the problem or we have to do a second round, which means another week. One sprint is one week in our method. And, so, and as soon as we solve that bottleneck, 
Then we analyze, okay, what's the next bottleneck? Well, now it's marketing. Uh, we solved it, but now we have, to, we have to tell more about it. All right, one week marketing focus. I can tell you more about it. It's a three-month program. And in the first month, it's about simplifying. In the second month, it's about finding what works and connecting the parts that work and literally operations, marketing, and sales. That's how, how simple we make it and connecting what works. And then the third month is the marketing push, how to scale it up. Simon, you're, you're in Austria, and I'm sure you deal with a lot of software companies. When you're working in Europe and then we're working in the States, you know, two different cultures, could you address some of the different issues in the States versus uh, Europe that you help, uh, problems that you uncover and, and solve? Most of our clients are in the California area. SaaS clients are typically, our clients are typically in Los Angeles and San Francisco, some of them in Miami that's emerging in the last years. And in Europe, it's especially London and a tiny part of Switzerland called Zug. You might not even know it, but it's, it's one of the hotspots for blockchain startups, SaaS startup, especially deep tech, fintech space. Switzerland mm. is hot right now. So in the last years, we would usually work with San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Los Angeles-based SaaS startups. And yes, there is a different mentality. One is how much time are you taking off? <laughs> That's a huge mentality. Like in, in Europe, the people go, Oh, yeah, tell me, tell me, I'm off in August. We see each other in September. And in San Francisco, is I'm having kidney surgery. You can reach me the next three hours on my mobile phone. And uh, so that's one difference. The other difference is the seed round and uh, A round are just different volumes, very different volumes. It's really much easier to raise. Uh, rounds right now in, in the US than in Europe. But Europe is, is coming up also. There are, especially in, in, in the deep tech, fintech space where, where I am working most, I am, also, I am in the SVBS, Silicon Valley Blockchain Society. So I'm trying to help deal flow in the deep tech space coming together. And for me, that's mainly blockchain that, that excites me because it has this potential to change supply chains to change the fintech space to disrupt banking and also it's of course in a, it's creating appreciating assets it's so interesting for treasury of of saas companies that uh, start thinking about you know appreciating assets and how to manage the pnl and treasury so there are so many topics popping up there that i am excited about and that we are helping our clients navigate through and tackle and use because there are huge opportunities. And uh, yeah, it's especially San Francisco and Zug that, that are really interesting right now. If you make a bad hire, how hard is it to, to remove the person in Switzerland versus California? Well, that depends on the contract. <laughs> and I am, I am a, I'm a fast firing person. So I, I, I hire fast and I, and I, and I fire fast. And that's why I have contracts that enable that. And not none of my people is actually in my country because we are a global team. We are born remote. We are in every country. We have different country legislation, but really the contract is, is on you as an entrepreneur. You know, th there are many ways right now to, to source work. We have to take care of two things as an entrepreneur, of the 
down volatility and up volatility. So you have to take care. What if you have a month where sales is down and you still have to pay all these wages? What, what if you have a month where four people have COVID and you have to pay all these wages? How much can you really afford? It's, it's a serious conversation going on in the exec team, how to find a smart solution for that. And I would say a smart solution is one that in, in a very bad sales month, has still a healthy and resilient team setting for everybody. And in a very good sales month, has no upper limits. So it's scalable up, but you can afford also in a very bad quarter. There is much more volatility than we all would like. And nobody knows about what's coming. Well, let's, let's talk about what's coming up in the next 90 days. Doubling your revenue. I love the claim. Talk about big, hairy, audacious goal and acclaim, our audiences, you know, uh, new sales managers, small business owners, people that want to get better, they're all running their own kind of business, whether it's uh, within a company or their own company. I, I'd love to explore that further, you know, with you. I mean, that, that's the holy grail. Double your, double your revenue in 90 days. I mean, look, let's just, you know, let me just poke you for a second. That sounds like that's just for small businesses. If you're doing like hundred thousand bucks a month, you know, right? Like that's it's for small businesses, right? This isn't for big businesses, right? We work mainly with small businesses, Series A SaaS, pre-Series yeah. A SaaS, and small service businesses, consultancies, agencies. That's correct. And uh, to double the revenue there is pretty easy. And sometimes we quadruple it. Maybe, maybe I have to change even my guarantee because huh. right now we're guaranteeing doubling, but we have quadrupled in, in North Carolina last, last month with somebody who builds houses and they have quadrupled. And I was like, guys, how, how are you going to ship four times more houses? And they went like, well, we have modularized with our sprint coach. We can do that. So let me tell you, it's three levers. And uh, I learned this originally from Jay Abraham, who has been around a long time and has done amazing foundational work for everybody. The work of Jay Abraham is really worth. So we stand on the shoulders of giants. Jay Abraham, Verne Harnish, Gino Wickman have done amazing work. And we have started our thing and all these things were already in place. I had 18 years of time to prove these things in practice if they really work. Mm -hmm. And the things that work, we collected into the Sprint University, which is now a set of tools of 274 tools. But the levers are only three things. So if you want to increase your revenue and you are listening right now, take notes because I'm going to tell you the three things that you do in the next 90 days. And you can do them alone. You don't need us. If you want to increase revenue by 99%, then you have to get three things up by 25%. One is price. One is frequency and one is the conversion rate. Let's start with the price. Mm -hmm. You probably have not found out what your max price is because they're not teaching it anywhere. So let me give you, if you're a SaaS, if you're a SaaS company, let me give you here the process, how you find your max price. You can increase your price by 5% for every new user until you get 40%, 45% rejection. That's where you have your sweet spot. You have found your max price for now. That's accurate enough for most listeners. Go and try it for yourself. You will, you will find that you can raise it considerably. Say it again now, for me, Simon. 5% for every... Increase your price by 5% for every new user and stop when you get 40%, 45% rejection. 
what about existing customers, right? Because I feel like a lot of clients go back to the existing customers and say, hey, we priced you wrong. I'm now going to go up by 40% overnight. You, you, you've got to walk. I think you've got to walk up the price by the new customers and then try to bridge the gap later on with the uh, existing, correct? Thank you for this question. So the, the exploration, the price exploration you do with the new users, and when you have found the price, now there are eight things that you have to, you have to make, then you come back and raise the price for everybody. And these eight steps, uh, we have them on our website. You can download them, strategiesprints.com. You can download them. Basically, eight steps are making sure you have testimonials, social proof, an offer that has a 10x value. So when we say we, we can increase your sales by 150,000, then we will charge 15,000 because that's an appropriate way. If you bring 10 times value, then it's fine to charge that. And so there are eight things, a checklist of eight things to do. And when you have done that, you can go and raise the price also for everybody else because now you have found your sweet spot and you have done your eight homework exercises which make a, a solid offer. You need a solid offer, obviously, and social proof, and you need a certain NPS, Net Promoter Score, validating that you are really delivering a good uh, service. Then you can go and up the price. That's the pricing part. Twenty-five. So that's, that's one. Raise price. Number one, raise price. Second one is frequency. Frequency is quite exciting because especially now we are talking B2B SaaS and B2B services because for everybody else, it's easy to increase frequency. You just change a little bit the buttons, put in more PPC and you have more frequency. But for the B2B sales, the complex sales where you need eight to 14 touch points, this is the hard school because you have sometimes eight months sales time from awareness to closing. 13 months, 18 months. I had 18 months three years ago. It was crazy. How can you do that? How can you intensify that into two weeks, three weeks? And we have found something that works really, really well. Basically, we map out the 18 months. We, we write down what's happening in 18 months and we find the solution. And the solution is mainly based on emails that you can compress into eight to 14 contact points that happen in three weeks. So for example, if you go right now onto our website and download anything, and it will ask you for your email address, in the next 14 days, you will get a daily email. The first email will send you to a valuable piece of information about your industry that is on LinkedIn. So you will see it, you will comment, we are connected on LinkedIn. Day two, Valuable piece of information, and it's on YouTube. We are connected on YouTube. And so this is how we do the next 14 days. Come the next day 10, you say, oh, I'm tired of Simon. Come on, let me take my iPad and watch something on YouTube. Guess what? Who's coming? <laughs> so we'll have 14 contact points in the next eight days, probably. And if you don't like it, you unsubscribe and it's fine. But if you like it, we have created now exactly what we wanted, 14 valuable contact points in eight days instead of 18 months. And that's what you want to create. Uh, valuable experiences uh, up to 14 times before you even introduce the offer and start going into the sales conversation, you have prepared the ground. Now you can raise frequency. And so that's the first part, intensifying the, if you want, the, the experiences 
And then, of course, upselling and cross-selling. Some people have that already, but many listeners, if you ask them, what is your system for weekly upsell, yeah. weekly cross-sell, they might not have a system. So that's a low-hanging fruit if you don't have a systematic way of doing it, build it in, and that's where we map it out and say, hey, look, after this, so they come for the solution. What if they hang around for the community? What if they hang around for this and for that? So how can you retain easier? Because that, and, this, and you have experienced salespeople listening here, they know that it's, it's the cheaper and it's the easier sell is the upsell. And number three is increased conversions, you said. Conversions. This is the good old how to close the deal. Yeah. So there are two points that we work on. One is the, one is the website and how you convert from there. And, uh, and the second one is the, the sales call, the Zoom call. We record. So we ask our clients to send us their Zoom recordings. Yeah. Most people right now are selling via Zoom. So we ask them for the Zoom recording and we have a checklist. I can show you the checklist. We go through, hey, how many of these kind of questions did you ask? Oh, look, you jumped to the price too early. Go back. Uh, did you really explore the gap? How long did you stay in the gap before you went to solution? Look at this. And so as you can imagine, <laughs> this is super helpful because this is so practical and it's, it's just how to close the deal. There are a couple books that we recommend reading because they are really, really helpful. But then the most practical thing is we get their recording and in the live session, which is weekly, one hour, we tell them, look, at the beginning, you asked just two questions and then you went into your solution. Get that up to seven questions. Now go back, practice a second time, second, send us the next recording. And so you have different kind of typical sales mistake. Mm-hmm. that we, we recognize quickly. Like, you know, the product nerds who, who talk too much about features and not so much about benefits. The, the excited uh, solution seller who doesn't even ask about the problem. The empathic uh, problem understand people and who wants to be liked and listens for the full hour without selling anything. And so you have the typical situations and typical patterns that you can identify pretty quickly and help overcome with just just technique. You play football, whether it's uh, the real football in Europe or the football in the States, you, you watch game tape, right? So you have a sales call, depending on the, uh, on the sale, you know, t- 20 to 40 minutes. And I love that you go to the Zoom call and you watch the tape of it. Do, do you ever go to the transcript so you can see the actual structure of the call versus the tone of the call? I, I always found that helpful that if somebody could read what they're saying, something clicks upstairs, it says, oh, wow, I could delete all this other text, cut, cut and paste. This is what I should have said. Oh, yes. The sales script is an important part of the sprint. We The first year, we, we would just write the script together because usually nobody has a script. And uh, so mm-hmm. of our clients, at least. Uh, most small businesses don't have a script, a script for sales. So we would write one with them and then they would use it. And then we, we would get these recordings and they were so stiff, so rigid, like they were reading. Yep. So we introduced a second element. Okay, in week two, we create the script with you. But in week three, you start doing role plays, A, B, C role plays. One is the client, one is the salesperson, and one is the observer. 
And so they have to do role plays in between just, you know, to get relaxed because it is important to learn the script and it's as important to forget the script because mm. otherwise it's rigid. And if you hear somebody who's rigid, you know what I do? If, if I am in a country and I'm just getting out of the airport and the cab driver starts asking these questions and I know this is a script, well, then I start joking around. You know, I, I answered in a way that I know exactly what's the next question and I, I start joking with them. So it's, it's not good to feel like you are talking to a script. And uh, scripts are only good if you practice, 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 and then let them go, forget them. Yep. You know the checklist. You know, oh, I shouldn't talk price before I have covered that. That's basically what the, the, the map you should have in your mind but it shouldn't feel like anybody's going through a script. Otherwise, that's yeah. just boring. It's not natural. <laughs> Pete and I are, are, uh, are not nodding because we're, you know, dyed in the wool sales guys and we've used scripts our entire life. But I, Simon, I don't know if you knew, scripts are a bad word. You can't use scripts anymore. So I think you call playbooks or something, but, but I'm a firm <laughs> believer in, in scripts and, and uh, a friend of mine, the great Mike Brooks, uh, Mr. Inside Sales, he used to say, you know, look, when you go watch a movie, every single person on that screen is using a script, but they don't sound like they're using a script because they have practiced using the script. And there's, there's like three, three uh, levels to this. One is reading the script you still sound mechanical. Two is memorizing the script. You sound a little bit better, but you're still mechanical. But then number three is like you said, is throw it away. You've now embodied the script and the script actually can have components to it where now you can have a conversation and you can insert pieces of the script you know, as necessary in a, in a conversation. I love in 2021, somebody is still advocating for scripts because it is it is, it is critical. How do you know what good looks like if you don't, you know, lay it out for, uh, uh, for, those, for those customers? A amen to that. Gil times that uh, activity equals success. And I think scripts come into play there because when you have no skill, you've got to rely on the activity and the script until you master the script and then your skill is improved. You can throw the script out. Hopefully your activity stays the same because then your your success goes through the roof. Sort of tooting Pete's horn there on his. Uh, you can toot my other horn, but I don't the, know what that means. The, 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 I'll leave that there. <laughs> we'll edit that out in post. No, use a script if you rehearse it. Okay, you should have some confidence because if you say the same thing over and over and over, you should get the same objection over and over and over, or a different one. And know how to respond to it. So you should at least have confidence. Yeah, if you're reading off a piece of paper, forget it. It's like click out, you know, checked out. So, like you said, if you're watching the screen, you're watching the movie, they have a script, they just rehearse it a gazillion times. If a rep's out there and it's not rehearsing and they're just reading what the boss says, uh, good luck on your next job. Mm -hmm. There is value in creating the script because this is when you think of all your benefits. This is where, for some people, it's the first time they divide benefits from features. For some people, it's the first time they think about the pain points of their customer in a structured way longer, longer than half an hour. That's the value of creating it. And then the, the beautiful thing about sales is the learning curve is so steep. You do 30 sales calls, you have learned it. You, you forget about that piece of paper. And you might come back later 
maybe, I don't know, one year later, you have two bad sales months. You get, you get again with the sales coach. They ask you for the script. You go, oh, where was it? And then you revisit it. That's a good exercise to do again. So you might do it again and again. And of course, all the time, your customer needs change. You have to revisit the script. And what's, go- what's happening right now? The life of our customers is changing week by week. So that's when I go back to my sales script and my team go back to the sales script and say, hey, is this still relevant? Are we still talking to the people in a way that is appropriate or have we disconnected? And so we review them. You're the three keys to doubling revenue in, there was three keys to doubling revenue in 90 days. One was increasing price. Two was increasing frequency and three was increasing conversion. And obviously we, we dove deep in here in how to increase your you know, conversion rates. And I think you're talking about good old, good old coaching in, uh, in increasing yes. conversion rates uh, because you can say stuff, but if it doesn't work, you better figure it out and rework it into a, into a good script and a, and a playbook. Love it. But there was just three, correct? Three, just three. You get them only up by 25% each you are now at plus 99% revenue. And this is mostly enough cash flow injection to now start hiring more, outsourcing and delegating better. And now you are working on the business and not anymore in the business. This changes a lot for the people. Now you have time to work on the business. Now comes the fun part. Joint ventures, collaborations, affiliate marketing, all the fun stuff, being on podcasts, talking about your mission, being on TEDx uh, and telling people stuff. This is the cool part now of running a business. But first, of course, you need that cash flow injection and that solid fundamentals. And that's what we were talking about. And I like as a, as a consultant, I like not to hang out for years with my clients. I come in, we do these three things. They're happy. We are happy. We move on. I would I imagine that. you have to be pretty particular on who you choose too, because some of the startup customers might not have a product market fit, meaning that they're not, they're answering a question that no one's asking. So you're probably going through a vetting process yourself because otherwise you're just wasting time saying, I'm guaranteed you're going to grow your revenue by two the question they're trying to solve is not a question that needs to be answered. That's very, very good point. So when does the sprint work and for whom does it not work? This, this sprint works only for B2B, high-ticket SaaS and service-based businesses, so consultancies, agencies, uh, wealth advisors, legal advisors. It does not work for all of this when they are below 35K per month in revenue. That is an arbitrary number that I have come up with in the last 18 years to define exactly what you just said, James. When do we see market fit? Because you can have product fit and product validation at 5K if people say, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. And so you're doing 5K per month. The sprint is not the right thing for you. When you hit 35K per month, now you have traction. Now people are, and if it's MRR or just monthly revenue, it's now people are taking stuff from your hands. This is what we call market fit. And this is where the sprint applies. We have also a kicker, a group coaching of 12 weeks that prepares you for the sprint. If you are below 35K, then James, you are right. You have to do different things. Uh, We do positioning, we do messaging and we do packaging. 
and we train the basics of sales because usually they don't have a CRM. So we help them choose the right CRM, set up the right CRM, and we, we, we train them that it's about how to start conversations and how to follow up conversations and how to close conversations. This is what you need to do before you hit 35K per month. It's a contact sports. You need a ton of conversations and you need to close them. Interesting. So 35,000 is just an arbitrary number that you came up with, but it's, it, it seems to hold true, I guess, right? And, and your, your validation of your hypothesis seems to be 35. There seems to be enough substantiated behind that. Yeah. And, and so when people come to us and they're below 35K, we, we have the Tuesday sessions for them, 12 weeks to get them to 35K. And that's the kicker. And after it, they can sprint. And in the sprint, we can double the revenue in 90 days. So if they are at 35, we can go to 70. If they are at 50, we can, do, we can go to 100. That, that is what works really well in a repeatable way for us. You, you mentioned something in your last, uh, last answer about uh, working on the business versus working in the, the business. And it reminds me of a, um, a job I took many years ago, and I observed a head of our customer service department. And this guy had everything, Simon. Everything ran through him. Every approval, every everything ran through this guy. And he was very proud of the fact that he was working till 11 o'clock at night. And, and, I, and, I, and I said to him, you know, listen, we're not going to be able to scale if everything goes through you. And let's just talk personally. Personally, you'll never be able to take a vacation if everything continues to go through you. And he goes, Kevin, the secret here is I have job security. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Because the moment something breaks because you were supposed to do it, or you fell asleep and you were supposed to do something, then somebody's wondering what you're doing with your, you know, with your business. And so I read something about uh, that you've published about, you know, working on the business and not, you know, in the business. Your mission is to help CEOs run businesses smoothly without them, without the CEO. Isn't that a yeah. little bit like, you know, wait, you, you know, the CEO is going to create a business where they don't need the CEO. <laughs> Come on. What's the, yes. you know, I'm poking you a little bit, but, uh, but come on, the CEO has to be involved in everything, right? Well, <laughs> I, I am from my personality. I am, I am similar to him. I want to be involved in everything. I think I can do it quicker. I think I care more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I am, and I am okay with working weekends and nights, et cetera. So from the personality type, I understand him a lot, but I have seen so many businesses where the founder becomes the bottleneck. And so the CEO usually is the main blockage for growth of the company because it's the founder who is also the CEO of five to 50 people. And now you need to shift from star to galaxy. The CEO is really the one role that you need to multiply. How can you multiply leadership? That is the main question. And you can multiply by creating the governance, the protocol, the rules of the game, and you need time for that. So when do you create the rules of the game, the values, the cadence, the velocity? Velocity is not just speed, it's speed and direction because you can have speed in the wrong direction. And this is a big risk when you are working 80 hours 
that you are not sharp enough, you start making mistakes. You overlook things. You and and I can tell you a ton of stories where I had bad hirings, bad decisions, and that pulled me back for three months, four months worth of progress because of just one hiring mistake. And I did that because I were I was overworked. I didn't take the the time to reflect, to to draw a model and to think about the model because I was too much in the business. So the best decisions I've made were three years ago when I said, Simon is out of fulfillment. From now on, you cannot book Simon as a coach anymore. That was the best thing. And you know, for, for 18 years, I was the one doing the consulting. So for, for everybody, it, it, it was a huge step. And, and, and for me, it was emotional. But 10 minutes later, nobody missed me. It was beautiful. The coaches start showing more of how good they are. I was in awe of how good they are, how dedicated they are. The quality was higher than the quality of my coaching. And I started really enjoying these other things, working on form, fit, and function of the sales system, working on form. And, you know, this is an engineering problem. Form, fit, and function of the sales system is an engineering problem. That's, it's an art form. It takes time. I am thinking three, four hours per day about how to improve form, fit, and function of the sales system, form, fit, and function of the marketing system. I listen to podcasts. I book experts. I, I read Jay Abraham and Gino Wickman and whoever I can get. I read, I study, and I reverse engineer. I run experiments that I run myself. I run experiments where I have agencies running them. I get reports and I study the reports. I, I search for patterns. I search for weak signals that would tell me early what's working, what's not working. And I can go on and on. You see, I'm, I'm excited again, even if I'm not in, in the client work, but it is as exciting to work on the business of your business. Uh, you, uh, you read the book, uh, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, by chance? Beautiful book. Yes, yes. That, that got me started on this entrepreneurial thing. There you go. I read that book at the right time, Simon, because I was working too much in my business and I realized I needed to be able to, this, the holy grail was turn your email off, turn my email off while I was on vacation. And I was actually only able to pull it off as of uh, a, a couple of years ago, but that was, that was it. The business was running without me and I didn't need to, uh, didn't need to be checking in on email uh, all the time. There you go. I, I am coming from a four weeks uninterrupted vacation at our beach house and our company is just three and a half years old. So if I can do it, everybody can do it. You know, we've talked to a lot of consultants on here and some consultants say, you know, there's only a certain type of company I want to work with where the founder is still day to day. Because once you get into larger corporations or whatnot, some people, they're insecure. Like, uh, you know, why do I have to bring a consultant in? You know, we should already know this. I, I was wondering, have you seen any of that, Simon? You said your sweet spot uh, is thirty-five grand a month. I wonder, you know, what kind of new companies do you look to take on board? Are they corporations or smaller businesses? We work with small businesses. And uh, I, I sometimes have this topic also, hey, Simon, but I want to work with you because you are the owner and you did it for 18 years. Don't give me some juniors. And I get it. And I'm very open about it. So first, we don't have any juniors. The sprint coaches 
They were former heads of Google, former salespeople for Coca-Cola. They scaled Uber Eats, or they did run the advisory arm of Ernst Young in their country. So we have only CEOs coaching CEOs because I also don't want to have kids coaching them. That's the first part. The second part is I am still involved. So every Monday, there is the coaches meeting and we discuss every client. Every client gets reported the three sprint calls, the three numbers and the three revenue metrics that we, you know, if it's churn uh, rate in terms of a SaaS or if it's new revenue or numbers of deals closed. I, I really get these numbers. I look at the reports, not just at the stories. I want to see the numbers, not the narratives. And every Monday we go through all clients. If at some point, and we can discuss 16, 17 clients per session. If at some point we would have 50 clients per Monday and I cannot anymore, I have a system to scale that. Then, because right now I am still the head coach going through all clients, but I have written down the role of the head coach and I have over 100 recording of, of recordings of how I do head coach. So I can, I can certify now a head coach. I have a certification model, by the way, because that's how you scale a service business. The only way to scale a service business is to do a certification model or kind of a, a franchise model or a license model, right? So we have all of this. And so I can certify a head coach and then I can scale that again and we can have 50 more clients per week if we need to do that. And uh, But I still can see every single client and I write them. I write them, hey, Anthony, like right now, Anthony Yonarino just sprinted with us and I wrote him, hey, Anthony, congrats on your higher open rate on your new emails. So I'm in. It doesn't mean that I spend many, many hours. There is a smart way, a lean way of... Uh, having quality control that, that, and this is exactly what I'm studying. I'm studying the lean methods, the quality control methods, because these are the champions in how to create processes that work, but that are smart. They, they have loops for quality control that work on the level of system and not on the level of person. Simon, what's the best way for listeners to get a hold of you? Uh, what's your website? We hang out at strategiesprints.com. And uh, we have some pretty cool things on there. So you can download the tools, the checklist. And the newest thing that I've created is one thing that people were asking all the time, like, okay, Simon, but all these things, I, I don't know if I should uh, improve now operations or sales or marketing. How can I find out? So I've created a eight minutes self-assessment. It's called the game plan where you can identify your bottleneck right now. So if you click on game plan, you can spend eight minutes and uh, after that, you know your bottleneck. So you focus for this week just on that. Area of constraints. I love it. I love it. Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, everybody. I hope I could contribute to some clarification. You contributed more than I did. So it was great. <laughs> <laughs> that's not very hard. I mean, that, that's what she said. Thanks for listening to The Sassholes. On behalf of Jason, Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And we ask you to give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Please, if they're not listening, we can't help. So subscribe to us on our, on our newsletter. And in the podcast notes, you'll see the links for everything we talked about today. If you want to buy us a beer on Patreon, please, Patreon slash Sassholes. Thank you for listening. Cue the non-copyrighted music.
Give me one more. You're listening to the Sassholes. This is Simon Severino, the CEO of Strategy Sprints. You are listening to the Sassholes. Let's do this. That, see that? You put some ass in the sass. We like that. <laughs> <laughs> 